Welcome to another episode of Anatomy of a Chef. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. On today's episode, I have the honor of chatting with Chef Marjorie Meek Bradley. She is the co-owner and executive chef of Smoke and Stacked, which is located in the Shaw neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Chef Margie is a James Beard nominated chef, and she's Top Chef Season 13 finalist. So if you're a fan of Top Chef, you if you go on her website, you know, chefmargie.com, or even the restaurant smokeandstack.com, you'll recognize her right away when, when you see her. She actually felt that Washington, D.C. had a hole when it came to breakfast sandwiches and pastrami. She and her partners opened Smoke and Stack to fill that gap. They specialize in house-cured pastrami and breakfast sandwiches, and it's all served on milk bread. And if you don't know what milk bread is, think of a cross between a buttery brioche and an ultra-soft Hawaiian roll. If that don't make you hungry, nothing will. This interview was a real treat for me because I had the opportunity to chat with a high-profile chef, one that's known in the culinary world uh, very well. I mean, she was gracious enough to agree to the interview and come on the show, and we scheduled the interview, and then she emailed me early in the morning saying, <coughs> excuse me, hey, can we push it out? Because she had to cover her lunch service. So if she sounds uh, a little, not distracted, but a kind of little not on our game, I guess. That's not fair to say either. But it was just after her lunch service, and it was a very busy lunch service. So, And we also had a um, some audio issues during the interview. So please be patient and kind of get your, get through those, work through them. It clears up, and then we kind of continue on. But I just want to let you know about that stuff. But she was great. She was very nice, very sweet. Um, liked her a lot. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. So... On your way home, swing by your local deli, pick up a pastrami sandwich of your own and your favorite adult beverage, and enjoy the show. Hey, Marjorie, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, thank you. I know you just came off lunch service. We had to kind of reschedule our interview, so um, I appreciate you letting me know, and we can get this interview done. So thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely. So, Smoke and Stacked, only been open f about four or five months, huh? Yeah, we opened on September 9th. How's it going? How's the D.C. community uh, reacting to it? Are they liking it? Yeah, it's been going really well. Um, we've been really fortunate. We've had a lot of good you know, press and feedback. We just had a review in the Washington Post magazine by Tom Sietzma. And he gave us two stars, which is really great for nice. fast casual. Especially didn't really expect to get reviewed there. So I was super <laughs> happy with that. Oh, very good. Very good. So after kind of being in it for four months or being around for four months, has the place kind of come together as you saw it in your mind's eye for the most part? Yeah, it definitely took some time, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's really gotten to the point where I wanted it to be, you know, my – goal was to just keep it uh, simple and, you know, approachable and good food. And I think we're, I think we're doing that. I think you're doing it too. But 
whoever took the photos on your website are just amazing. They did a really, really oh, thank good you. Job. Yeah, they did a really good job. It, your mouth is watering. It's like if I didn't live in California, I'd come on down and and try it out. Looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I was wondering if you could walk us through uh, a typical day for you there at the restaurant. What time do you get there? And what's going on? What meetings are happening? You know, just give, give the listener an idea of, of what, how much yeah. goes on into running your little restaurant. Yeah, you know, I usually get there at 6 in the morning, um, kind of between 5.30 and 6 in the morning because we bake all our bread fresh every morning. So oh, okay. we open at 8 a.m. So to get that bread ready, we have to get there by, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And, you know, come in in the morning, get everything turned on, lights on, all that stuff. And the first thing I do is get the bread dough going, and then I get the pastrami cooking. So we cook our pastrami fresh every day, and we serve it hot. So it's um, smoked and cooked in a rationale. So I get that going every morning. And then from there, um, my person who works breakfast usually comes in, and we get the bread going and kind of set up the station for breakfast. And then really, you know, for the morning, it's just making those breakfast sandwiches and kind of making sure we're ready for the day, ready for lunch. And lunch starts at 11. So we're usually pretty busy from 11.30 to about 2 o'clock with people kind of on their lunch break and a little bit of a hurry. Right. So that's definitely kind of our rush. And, you know, it quiets down a little bit. And on weekdays, um, Sunday through Thursday – or I'm sorry, Sunday through Wednesday – we're open till 3, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're open till 9 o'clock. So, you know, usually kind of get through until about 2 o'clock, and then at that point, you know, if I have any meetings that day or, you know, kind of different things going on, I'm working on a couple different projects right now. I kind of go across the street to our office and just take care of kind of the business side of things. <laughs> Great. So can you talk about what else you got going on, or is that kind of hush-hush for the moment? Um, yeah, that's, that's still kind of in the works right now. Gotcha, gotcha. No problem, I understand. No problem. So I was wondering, um, I read when you were on Top Chef that you had to do the, um, the restaurant idea that the pastrami came to your mind. Has that been kind of swimming around in your head for for quite some time and just do it like a fast casual type of a restaurant? Yeah. You know, I honestly had never thought of a fast casual restaurant before the show, but, um, you know, when we were in San Francisco with all the kind of, you know, different um, investment bankers and stuff like that, it was just, it was really cool. It was something I never thought of and it was a way to kind of, do something new and cook for a lot of people in, you know, kind of less amount of time and still be delivering a great product. And, you know, Washington, D.C. doesn't have a ton of sandwich places. And it really doesn't have many, like, breakfast on the go options, not like, oh, okay. you know, New York or some of the other big cities. So I kind of saw a hole in the market of something that I thought I could bring that would, you know, bring a little bit more, um, you know, bring something to the market that there wasn't a lot of options for. Right, right. It seems to be working, I, from what you say, which is kind of nice. 
Yeah, it's been good. You know, it's been a lot of fun. I think that, you know, we, we make everything from scratch, fresh in-house every day. So I think that, you know, you can really taste that and it brings people back. I bet, I bet. So you grew up in California, and I was wondering where, wh- what, when did the moment hit you like, it's like, I want to become a, a, a chef? Is it when you were a young girl or more when you started college? Yeah, I mean, I definitely always loved cooking. Um, I really grew up in the kitchen. My mom and dad started a soup kitchen the year that I was born in Northern California. And so I really kind of grew up running around there and we always cooked dinner at home together. And, you know, I was in high school and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I started looking into culinary schools. So I actually went straight from high school to culinary school. Oh, okay. Was that in California too? Yep. Uh, no, I went to school in Philadelphia. Oh, I went okay. to the restaurant school at Walnut Hill College. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Is there one dish out there that you felt you had to like master to become the cornerstone of your culinary career? Um, I mean, I definitely, you know, I think there's a lot of things that I have kind of learned along the way that I maybe excel at and have become known for. Um, you know, I really enjoy making fresh pastas and, you know, kind of those types of, like, fresh pasta, fresh bread, and, you know, really kind of stood out um, for some of those things that I did at the restaurants that I'm at, you know, what I open now and the restaurants I've been at before. Gotcha. So when you're poking around the kitchen and stuff, other than a sharp knife, what kitchen tool can you not live without and why? Uh, um... I would say two things. One would be a microplane. I love citrus. I love the zest. I love the juice. I love everything about it. <laughs> um, I use a lot of citrus. So I definitely, and, you know, microplanes are great. You can grate spices on them. You can grate cheese. You can right. grate um, garlic on it even, you know, to get, like, really finely kind of, you know, ginger. So many things. Super versatile. And the other one would probably be a coon spoon because I basically plate everything with it. <laughs> cool, cool. So um, do you have any particular advice that you would give for um, a recently graduated culinary student? Yeah, um, I think my advice would be don't rush. You know, take your time to work under, you know, a couple great chefs and really just learn, you know, more than one style of food, learn from a couple different types of restaurants, and make sure you understand the business side before you kind of go off on your own. I think a lot of people get really caught up in, you know, cooking and their passion for it, and it's easy to forget that a restaurant is a business before it's a restaurant. And, right. You know, a lot of young chefs and young cooks are making mistakes that, you know, rushing into businesses that they're not ready for. And it's really sad because, you know, a lot of very talented people don't make it because they don't understand the business side. Right. So what was the the tipping point or what kind of – was the timing just right for you to open up Smoking Stack or – Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, it really was kind of – I, you know, got together with my two business partners and, you know, we, they wanted help with some things and I had this idea to do a pastrami shop and it just kind of all came together and we found a location pretty quickly. So it was pretty great. 
Yeah, so when you're telling new cooks come out of <clears throat> out of culinary school, I'm sure they want to rock the world and open up a really nice restaurant and that kind of stuff. But I, I think more of it involves timing more than anything. And yeah, timing, I mean, timing. Yeah, and understanding timing of a neighborhood. Um, timing of yeah, timing's definitely huge. But I think. You know, if you don't have the understanding of kind of how to, you know, run things from a lot of different angles, you know, that's definitely the most important part. Yeah, there, there's <clears throat> multiple chefs that I've interviewed so far, and it's, it all comes down to having some business sense to have a successful restaurant for sure. I mean, it's one thing to have a good team behind you that, that performs really well and everybody gets along, and the food, of course, has to be good or nobody's coming back. Right. But if you don't have any real clear business sense on how to, to buy your products and price them accordingly, you're going to be in a world of hurt pretty quickly. Yeah. I agree with you. It's very sad. A lot of these guys who are very talented just crash and burn because they they want it all too quickly. Yeah. But, but don't rush. Very with, true. Don't rush comes with being mature. <laughs> I guess too. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, can we talk a little bit about your experience on Top Chef? Yeah. I was, I was, I'm kind of curious, how did it come about, and what was it like actually being in those competitive situations on a time constraint like, like they are? Um, well, you know, I think that, you know, kind of how I got into it, um, I know a lot of people who have gone on the show and, you know, they'd kind of tried to get me to do it before and reached out before, and I just really wasn't that interested in kind of um, the TV side of it all. I've always been super competitive, but, you know, I I wanted to be known for my food, not necessarily for going on a show like that. And, right. you know, but, again, it was one of, those, one of those things, the timing was just really – Right, you know, I had two restaurants here in D.C., and both of them were doing really well, and I kind of wanted a new challenge. I was a little bored, so I figured, hey, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and I had a friend, um, Jen Carroll, who had been on the show before as well, and she was able to watch my restaurant while I was gone and watch the kitchen, and, you know, it it really worked out. And, the again, the timing was right, and I love a challenge, so... I figured it would be a new way to challenge myself, and it was a good opportunity. And, you know, the being on the show itself, I mean, it's insanely – it's way harder than you ever think it's going to be just because you're so shut off from your normal world. Like, you know, you don't have a phone. You don't get to watch TV. And so all you do is just kind of stress and think about what you're cooking and what the judges might say, and it's really easy to kind of overthink it sometimes. Oh, okay. But – um but, you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was hard and stressful, but I loved it. I met amazing people, and, you know, it's not often as an executive chef or a owner of your own restaurant that you get constructive feedback from really talented chefs. Right. So for me, it was awesome because, you know, I have people like, you know, Tom Clicchio and, you know, like um, uh, Josh Cuny. I can't remember his last name, but from, you know, uh, like basically you have some of the best chefs in the country critiquing your food and, um, 
you know, giving you feedback, not just being like, oh, this sucks, or like, whatever. Like, they'll be like, you know, this is really good, but it could have used a little more balance, or you, you know, whatever. So it was, mm -hmm. it was pretty cool. Oh, very cool. Did, were you surprised that you made it all the way to the semifinals? Well, the f well you were finalists, not a semifinalist. You were finalists. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely, I was happy. Um, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't say I was surprised. Obviously, I definitely went in there hoping and thinking I would make it that far. But, um, you know, it was definitely challenging to get there. But I don't think surprised is the word I would oh, use. Okay, good. Good, because you, you were definitely talented for sure. So it was just it was a lot of fun to, to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was a tough season. There was a lot of really talented chefs there. I think your season probably had some of the most talented chefs that have been on the show in a while. Yeah, you know, I think I think that our season really had a lot of similarities to like season six, where you had you know Brian and Michael Vitaggio and Jen Carroll and Michael Sabella and like all these like you know fiercely competitive people with right. their own businesses and their own restaurants. Like we had a lot of that. I mean, Amara owns two restaurants in you know um, in Orange County, and Phil had restaurants in LA and. You know, Jeremy's a chef of a hotel in Miami for Sean George. Like, everyone just had these crazy, like, backgrounds. You know, right. super, super talented. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. I think I'd be just a slightly intimidated. But whenever I, whenever I see those shows, there, I, all the drama that goes on around them, I'm always saying to myself, just stay in your lane and do the best that you can do and do what you do. And let the food speak for itself, and don't let the drama just kind of play out around you. I don't know if that's a, a yeah, that's definitely that's the way to do it. Keep your head down and cook is the way to kind of get through it. Yeah, yeah. So, I was, if you had to choose three herbs or spices for the next year, what would they be? And salt and pepper doesn't count. <laughs> um, I love coriander and cumin. I use it in a lot of things. I love Mexican food. I grew up in California, so I ate a lot of Mexican food growing up. Um, I also love ginger. I one of my favorite. I don't know if you really consider it a spice or herb, but it kind of falls in that category. Yeah, it works. Um, it works. It works. Yeah, definitely love ginger. Um, I'm trying to think if there's like, I love thyme. In the winter time, I use a ton of time because I just love it in like stews and roasting vegetables. Like it's just so versatile. Mm, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good choices. Good choices. So what has become more important or less important in the last five years? Um, in restaurant, sorry, <laughs> what do you mean? So that could be personally, um, uh, business, business wise, I mean, I think the most Im the most important thing for me right now, um, especially being in Washington D.C., is just making sure that you know, staying active and kind of being an activist in what's going on in the political environment right now. Um, chefs have a lot of ability to actually use their voice and you know on matters that are important, such as you know childhood like nutritional acts in congress and you know school lunch programs no kid hungry yeah. um you know working 
with kind of the community and, you know, especially as our, you know, government veers in a direction that, you know, doesn't do a lot of good for, I think, kind of especially children and nutritional things for less fortunate families and such. I agree. Um, I think moving forward right now, some of the most important things for me are to make sure that, you know, the charities I'm supporting, um, you know, are, you know, really helping the community that I'm in, and not just like kind of some, you know, grand big level, like more on a local level, doing what yeah. you can to help. And, um, you know, I think just being in D.C. with this last election cycle and everything has really you know, put a lot of fear in people here because, you know, this isn't just some capital. This is our home. This is where we live. And, you know, so we're really trying to make sure that our voice is heard and we can stand up for what we need to stand up for here. Yeah. <clears throat> that sounds good. Yeah, I like the, the school lunch issue, I think, is a – it's pretty pathetic what's out there in our schools. It's really sad. Yeah. I do a lot of work with No Kid Hungry, and, you know, I went down to uh, New Orleans where we went into some of the schools and saw some of the work they're doing, and it's just so sad. And, you know, I've done different stuff up on Capitol Hill as well with um, the, you know, with Tom Clegio and, you know, advocacy work for the reinstatement of the um, school. Like, just different stuff. I, I'm sorry, I can never remember the names of all That's the policies. Okay programs but you know doing different work over there and just really trying to help make sure because you know it's really important how are you going to get ahead if you can't have a nutritious breakfast and a nutritious lunch absolutely when that's all you're thinking about is is where your next meal is coming from you really can't focus on anything else exactly what was the name of the um the group in new orleans the no the it's called no kid hungry no kid it's hungry. a national group yeah it's um no Kid Hungry, it's part of Share Our Strength. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so I do a lot of fundraisers and work with them. How did you get involved with them? Um, you know, they do these fundraisers uh, every year in D.C., and, you know, I started to get, you know, they have kind of some of their main offices are here, and I got more and more involved. So now instead of kind of just doing the one main fundraiser now I you know I'm much more involved with some of the smaller things that they do and just different different events but yeah I just kind of I did one mass charity event with them and you know did more from there well that's awesome that's that's cool yeah no, it's been really great yeah I'm gonna link that up to the in the show notes so we get some some eyes on that that's kind of worthwhile I awesome. think we'll do that great. so what is the best lesson your father ever taught you <laughs> the best lesson my father ever taught me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good old you know, dad. I think that, right? <laughs> I think that, you know, my dad was always someone who was, you know, I don't, I'm trying to think. It's hard to, hard to say. My dad just always encouraged me so much, you know. He really had so much belief in what I wanted to do and, you know, really kind of would push me in a direction of, you know, like every time I'd be like nervous or almost afraid of something, he'd be like, well, you've done work, 
Like, you've done harder things before. He was always right. good at kind of just being like, of course you can do this. You've already done it. Or, you know, <laughs> don't worry. It worked out last time. Like, he's always good at reminding me that it's not, you know, the end of the world because I can What's be a little sad and falling. Yeah, right. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? That's <laughs> awesome. It's always cool when dads can do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. When you're looking for some kitchen help, do you have a must for someone to have in your kitchen? A must skill or do they have to be? Um, yeah, they must, they must want to learn. Okay. I don't like to hire somebody who knows everything because the truth is nobody knows everything. And somebody who thinks they know everything isn't really going to fit in in my kitchen. I like to hire people who want to learn and grow and be better. Awesome. I get that a lot. You can always – someone who wants to learn is easily teachable. And those yeah. Who aren't, they're, not, they're, they're hard to teach, actually. So, <laughs> so so far, the four months that the store – the restaurant's been open uh, – I didn't mean to call it a store. The restaurant's been open. Um, have you been able to kind of – what to attribute the success of it so far? Have you been able to nail it down? Per se, or is there a few? I mean, I think our success comes mostly from, you know, the fact that we're making everything fresh and from scratch, and people know that, and you can taste that. So, you yeah. know, and we keep it pretty consistent. You know, when you don't offer a huge menu, you have to make sure that you consistently serve good food every day. Your menu's not ginormous. It's not really huge. I think it's perfect. Do you ever get people coming in saying that they wish it was larger? That what was larger? Your menu. Your menu selection. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people don't quite understand what we're going for. But, yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. I have some people who, oh, why don't you have corned beef or why don't you have roast turkey? But for most people, for the most part, I think people understand what we're trying to do there. Right. And I also noticed that there's um, no pork on the menu. Is that by design? Um, there is on the breakfast menu. Just oh, is there? The oh, sausage. Yeah, yeah. there's. Bacon and sausage. Bacon and sausage. I I I thought maybe there would be like pulled pork or something as well on for the lunches. Yeah, I mean, well. it's really more the pastrami is the focus, not like barbecue. I know the name can make it sound a little barbecue like, but it's mm -hmm. much more just like smoked meats than like barbecue meats. Gotcha. Kind of kind of curious. All right. I want um. I have my little challenge question I want to ask you, and then we'll figure out how to uh, get in touch with you there at the restaurant. So you receive, right. a, you receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $500, $20 each. The menu is to include two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, a dessert. Describe the menu that you would create. Would you um... <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely do a nice, you know, I love, um, like, fresh salad with whatever is in season. Um, and, you know, salads don't have to be boring. You can get really good greens from your local farmer. And, you know, if it's winter time, I'm going to put roasted beets in there and, like, you know, probably some grapefruit, right. maybe a little bit of goat cheese and some nuts. And, you know, I just, I like to start a meal that way. Okay. Um. And, you know, I also really like kind of crudos and raw fish. 
you know, salmon's a great fish you can get, um, you know, at the market for not too expensive and just do a nice fresh kind of salmon belly crudo with, you know, a little bit of nice olive oil and sea salt and some, uh, I was just in Spain. I mean, the Padron peppers there are amazing. You can, you know, do a little flash roast on those and, you know, some sherry vinegar and pine nuts maybe. Sultanas. Okay. Really simple kind of seafood crudo. Mm-hmm. And for entree, I would probably do, um, I love, again, I love whole roasted fish or like whole roasted shoulders. So, can do like a lamb shoulder um, or a pork shoulder is really good and you know that way you know you can stretch a budget a little bit further using kind of those secondary cuts and they're so flavorful and I love serving stuff like that with you know kind of nice like acidic greens like braised greens Mm -hmm. or um, you know lemon roasted potatoes is another thing I worked at a Greek restaurant for a long time so I kind of love that And, um, you know, kind of something that goes well with that kind of thing is you can do like grilled shrimp or, you know, grilled um, calamari is also good. But I like to do like a seafood, like just kind of bright and spicy. I love piri-piri marinade, you know, parsley and chili and lemon and orange and olive oil and, you know, just kind of have a nice simple shared meal like that. Um, And then dessert, I love making, um, I mean, depending on the time of the year, but I love in the summertime making like an angel food cake with fresh berries or in the wintertime, I'll make like a cobbler with, you know, apples or persimmons or something like that. Sounds delicious. I'll be right right over. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. That's awesome. Well, Chef Marjorie, I really appreciate you coming on on the show, um, especially after your busy lunch service. I know you've got things to do and you need to to get your stuff done, but let the listeners know how they can certainly get in touch with you and where the restaurant's located and such. And I'll link all this stuff up in the show notes as well. All right, great. Um, Well, an easy way to get in touch with me is I have a website, chefmargie.com. Um, and that has, you know, a way to get in touch with me as well as information of upcoming events and things that I'm doing with links to my restaurant. And um, Smoked and Stacked is 1239 9th Street Northwest in Washington, D.C. So it's right on 9th and N Street in the Convention Center. Oh, okay. Um, are you on social media like Instagram? Twitter and all that. I am. Everything is Chef Margie. <laughs> At Chef Margie. Margie. Uh, yep. C-H-E-F-M-A-R-J-I-E. Perfect. Twitter and Instagram both. Excellent. Thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. Um, really enjoyed meeting you and talking with you. And much success in the restaurant for the future to come. I think you're you're on your way once again. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Be sure and visit us at AOAChef.com for all the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at AOAChef. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.